Angelou once said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Hey everyone, and welcome to the eighth season of New Way. This is our tech season. Every episode will feature really quick, amazing tips that will get your life and community back on track within the span of an episode. Just kidding. We all know it's never that easy. This work is as old as the hills. So rather than give you quick tips, we'll highlight the spiritual practices that are rooted in our tradition and in our shared experience of being human. Won't you join us? Today, we are back in part two of my conversation with the wonderful Gina Yeager Buckley as we talk about the inborn activism of Generation Z and the ways that blesses and shapes us. To be in the gospel, to follow Jesus Christ is risky. You risk money, relationship, reputation, failure. I just believe we are not kind about failure in the church. (laughs) And so we're teaching our kids also that you can't mess up or you can't make a mistake. And I think that's the worst thing we can model. I think we have to learn to risk and then to weigh the outcome fairly rather than success or fail. There's a lot of risk in ministry in general. That was Gina. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Let's jump right in. Taking this with a grain of salt, of course, one of the possible assets of this space we have now Mm -hmm. where hopefully things are not progressing in the exact same way in churches that they were in the late winter of 2020. It would be a little tone deaf to do that, but I understand the impulse to say, oh, this is the time in which we begin this program. Yeah. This is when we are kickoff Sunday. If we've resisted that impulse and we've done the disciplined work of saying, let's be thoughtful and reflective about what we are offering and the ways in which we're interacting with one another. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of people who are wondering what to do with their bad selves, you know, like out of their communities. Or who may be reluctant to return and fill up their schedule yeah. with the meetings and the all day Sunday at the church building, if that was the reality. I think it would be very interesting and important to help people begin to shift their lens back to their street, their neighborhood, their complex, their school, their places where they have been spending the most time and influence to the people that religious or not have helped them get through this time and survive and to maybe adopt some of those practices that we've known have functioned well to form meaningful relationships and faith community Mm -hmm. and offer them as disciplines for the human community out there. Like, hey, we do know how to do holy listening. Yeah. (laughs) We're an intergenerational people. Like, let's get a kickball game going in the neighborhood or an impromptu friendship bracelet thing. (laughs) So, Sarah, tell me what that looks like in your mind, because I'm fascinated by that. What would that look like at a church or a worshiping community or anything? Yeah. So it wouldn't look like a church at all. It wouldn't look like a church building or church space. Yeah. And what it has looked like in our neighborhood, we happen to have a patch of grass in our neighborhood. It's near the end of the street where there happen to be a lot of elementary school uh-huh. boys. In fact, I think there's uh-huh. a thousand of them, like at least 930 or so. And pre-pandemic, occasionally, 11 or 12 kids would rush through our house and then rush out the back door and they would like 
serially kind of enter each other's houses and leave. And, you know, I kind of got to know them and would scold them like, hey, I'm I'm in a meeting. Like, what the heck is going on? Right. (laughs) And early in the pandemic, the way that our family functioned was allowing our son, who was six at the time, right, to stand about 20 feet away from his neighbor, Fletcher, <laughs> they could like wave at each other, right? Because nobody knew what was going on. But, like nobody's going to get COVID, right? Yeah. Waving at each other. And that was the extent of what they could do. And they would have like their online school going yeah. on. And But they were both in kindergarten. Oh. Now they're in second grade. And what has emerged as we began to find out more about how COVID-19 was transmitted was mm-hmm. they can play outside. So kind of the neighbors, we got together and informally said... Nobody's going in each other's houses. They wear their masks and they just go play outside because <laughs> they're on online schooling this whole time. Yeah. And Chris and I, my husband and I, who's so great at playing with kids and youth and just having fun with them, yeah. being present with them, we started doing sports with them, like kickball. Yeah. Anything with a ball, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids would show up and some of them would hang out and some of them began to ring our doorbell and ask if the two of us could play, <laughs> especially Chris, you know, like, oh, I love and it. because we've just been non-scripted, there's no standing date yeah. or time. We just kind of know that people are around. They're not at organized sporting events for the most part. They're not at Bible study at church. They're not in youth group. Yeah. And for a while they weren't in school. And because they were around, we could gather in a visible place and start ringing doorbells and saying, do you want to play? Do you want to play? Do you want to play? Yeah. And I've learned a lot about these kids because of the informal conversations we've had. And I feel like I'm a trusted adult for them. Yeah. And that's a really good feeling. Yeah. And it's a feeling I don't necessarily know that a relationship I wouldn't necessarily have had in a church if I weren't the go-to youth advisor. Yeah. Sometimes the strange circumstances lead to these incredible opportunities, and those opportunities lead to relationships. Like, yeah. we always try to start at the relationship, but sometimes you have to have an entry point. You have to you have know? a ball or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to have a game. And people are like, why do you have to do games in youth measure? Well, because there's an entry point to relationships mm-hmm. sometimes. And sometimes it's laughter or acting goofy all simultaneously, like all vulnerability thrown out in front of each other is, you know. But I think what's so cool about that is that they got excited that adults were playing with them and wanted to. Again, remember that thing we were talking about when an adult loves you and cares about you and sort of beams when they see you, there is nothing like that for a child. It's just something special Mm. to be cared about and to have an adult want to play with you. Like, I just love that so much. (laughs) It's so good for all of us. It is. To have that time to be together. It is. I just think we adults... We think we and God together are providing this amazing thing and we're transforming them. Well, really, it's mutual. We are mutually being transformed into the likeness of God. You know, we are mutually enjoying each other and laughing and learning something new in our lives. Like, I imagine you and Chris are like, I forgot how to play kickball. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That's awesome. And now occasionally the other adults come and it's like, we want to keep reiterating like, yes, you can play. Go ask this person. Have you asked this person? Yes. Yeah. You know, 
Everybody can play. Everyone can be here. We have this ongoing situation in downtown Louisville, um, and it's under our overpasses are these enormous homeless camps is what they're calling them. And so it's folks that don't want to be inside the missions or that have been banned because of substance issues or fighting or something. So there's all kinds of stories going on. But literally, I think they think they've counted like 700 to 900 individuals that are under all of these like six big overpass places. And they're obviously under them for to get out of the sun and the heat. But it's very interesting because it's also in a very hip and touristy part of downtown Louisville. And so, you know, some people are fussing because tourists and people don't feel comfortable walking under there. And others are saying we've got to help these people. They are our Louisville citizens. We need to help them. You know, so I've been following conversations of young people in Louisville, different high schools, middle schools, different youth groups. And these kids are saying to each other, we should do something like we should get together and we should figure out how we can get to know these people. So they're not the underpass people. They are these human beings. We need to figure out what they need. Is there something we can do that's safe? Because of course, their parents are rightly so concerned about this because there's a lot of COVID worry in these camps right now and a lot of transmission. So I know about this because I've seen it on the news. My family was in town a couple weeks ago and stayed at a hotel right by the overpass. So we, you know, we would go and pick them up every day and drop them back off and we would see this. And so I know about about it through, you know, my way, but I'm fascinated how teenagers throughout Louisville, even far into the east and west ends that are not close to the downtown area. So I think there is opportunity for relationship again. And it's not in a church, Mm -hmm. although our church teachings would lead us to see these folks and to care about them. So it's just interesting to me um, that the conversation and the desire to heal and to help and to get to know people just welled up among. I'm fascinated. Like, how did they hear about this? Did they see it too? Walking through to see their friends, did they pass by the news? Are they reading it online? So I don't know sometimes how young people get information, but I know they hear it. Yeah. And they don't have a script for it, right? I mean, we could say, oh, well, we've tried to do this before and it just doesn't work because. Yeah. And young people, they don't want to hear Particularly young people who've (laughs) come to age in the pandemic are like, there's no script anymore. No. We don't know what we're doing. We're building the plane the way we fly it. Yeah. And in school now, a part of, you know, whether you're in public school, private school, homeschool, service to your community is a part of your education. And so I guess it could be said that this is a part of the natural rhythm of their life now, which is kind of amazing and wonderful. I think that it doesn't have to come from the church, you know, that it's a part of being a citizen. So I'm like, let the kids do it. We'll Mm -hmm. help them. (laughs) We'll drive them. Let's see what they could do. So I don't think I'm going to win that battle or that argument. But when they have the energy and the passion and the care, you want to support that as the adults around them. It gives me hope to think theologically, ontologically about this. It should give you hope. It should give us hope. It's not just, oh, the kids who grew up in the church who heard the sermon are the ones who feel that something's amiss in this situation. But it's part of who we are. It is. We've been created to be. It's part of who we are naturally. Yeah. And there is an added bonus, I think, of coming at this from faith, and that is to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to literally 
take care of the physical needs of people. I think that's very powerful, but it's not the only game in town for kids anymore. You know, like it's, I think we've got this real gift of a generation that are automatic kind of activists and are looking for a place to be and to help and to interact. And so we've got this amazing opportunity. We've also got a pandemic that's making it very strange and awkward, but I worry we're going to let that shut off what these young people can do because we're worn out. Yeah. Like, we don't have the energy or the, again, I just want to crawl into the bed under my comforter and hide. But what I could do instead is gather some young people and listen to what they're thinking about and excited about and what they want to do. Absolutely. I think some of the best moments in my own upbringing in the church were when, well, we had a youth director who sort of volunteered into the position who was from a totally different field and he leaned to four or five of us and said why don't you guys plan something yeah <laughs> like okay we were so excited we called everybody who was on the youth group list yep. to do this one thing and bring a certain thing and it was so transformative it is so, there is nothing like watching a young person be empowered and they also learn what it takes to make the machine roll <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and that's valuable yeah. to learn that sacrifice and effort and energy and time are necessary in opportunity. So, you know, I, I do think sometimes we've sort of let our young people in the church think this magical program just appeared. This retreat, we just showed up. Yeah. And actually, it was 42 hours of meetings and planning and shopping and bagpacking. And so it's helpful for a young person to understand the steps it takes to build relationships, you know, mm-hmm. or sometimes the simplicity that it is. Both are valuable. Can we talk a little bit about risk taking? Yes. <laughs> the thing, the thing <laughs> I'm most scared of. Yes. Yeah. And then youth, of course, you hear helping risk prevention. I deal with that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you want to mitigate risk, right? But you also see this value in helping youth to take risks, the terror of it and the necessity of it. <laughs> yeah. It's such an interesting place to be because you realize that to be in the gospel, to follow Jesus Christ, it is risky. You risk money, you risk a relationship, you risk reputation, you risk failure. Mm. And I just believe we are not kind about failure in the church. (laughs) And so we're teaching our kids also that you can't mess up or you can't make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the worst thing we can model. Like, I think we have to learn to risk and then to weigh kind of the outcome fairly rather than success or fail, success or fail. You know, like there's a lot of risk in ministry in general. In youth ministry, it's a little scarier because most of the parents I know, the last thing they want is to put their child in a risky situation. They don't want their feelings to be hurt. They don't want them to be physically in danger. They don't want abuse to happen. They don't want them to get a food they're allergic to. Yeah, You know, the office that I work with, um, we produce this event, the Presbyterian Youth Triennium. And if you look at the medications and the food allergies, even like the descriptions, we'll we'll ask the question, is there anything else that you want to tell us about yourself or your child, you know, that would help in their experience? And so it's 
radically different now compared to like 15 years ago, especially like as we went through the kind of millennial generation years, it was, well, my child's allergic to pumpkin seeds, but they're not going to want to say anything because they're they're embarrassed by this. And so we really need you to know because this is what happens. Their tongue will swell and then they'll be, there's a mixture of physical danger and emotional. Wow. I think it's risky in a way to be a parent and put your child on a van or a plane and send them off to somewhere. But that risk is so important in them taking the next steps into their life. It's so important. I think we're always trying to figure out how to help parents take that risk, help young people. Young people feel less of a risk. They're like, whatever. Okay, we'll go. <laughs> you know? But I do think putting yourself into lots of ministry situations is risky. You're risking your opinion being shot down. You're risking saying, I don't understand. You're risking an unpopular thought. But all of these things are important, right? <laughs> like yeah. They're important in figuring out your beliefs and your voice. And so as a youth advisor or a youth worker, you are the holder and the keeper of that risk. And you have to do that with a lot of heart and a lot of prayer <laughs> and hand in hand with parents, guardians. I think it's really important to have that relationship with the parents of youth as well. Risk. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> Although I think I've had to tap into some parts of myself that I'm kind of proud of my risk taking. I, and some of that came from like massive failure. I, You really can be shaped by failure <laughs> and risk. You can be shaped by things cratering. You have to be willing to be shaped by it and figure out what you learned. My mom always says, when you have a tough situation, hunt, just ask yourself, what do I need to keep from this and what do I need to let go? And of course, I'm like, I want to let it all go. But it's important as a human being, as a young person and an adult to figure out what you need to learn from tough situations. That's great advice. Yeah, I think that's important in youth ministry. Uh, really important. Trianium is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the largest gathering of Presbyterians in the whole wide world. Yes. In the whole wide world. <laughs> it is. Yeah. We never know yeah. what it's going to be like. <laughs> but yeah, I sometimes get frustrated because when people are writing stories, inevitably, the first sentence is over 4,000 people gathered, over 5,000 people. Gathered. And I, I want to say, can you just say like, young people gathered together? <laughs> and that alone is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it drives me nuts, but I get it at the same time. If someone is trying to picture Triennium, historically it had been at Purdue University in Indiana. Yeah. And what was that like if you were an adult going there? What was that like for you? If you were an adult, I think you were hot and <laughs> you found out that you thought you could walk five to 10 miles a day, but it's a different thing when you're in the 100 degree heat. We dealt a lot with tired adults who had to really tap into some strength to keep relationships positive and happy. And they did it. It was kind of an incredible thing to watch. But I also think it's something else to watch adults at the triennium. They are the bearers of care and they get worn out and they still somehow find the strength to gather that group together at night for debriefing or prayers or to go to the arcade and play games all together, meet up for ice cream. Like you just see them, you can see in their eyes, they're exhausted, but they'll tell you like I was exhausted, but it was the most incredible thing mm. to get to be with 
our kids. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't happen a lot. And so, you know, we were talking earlier about opening the doors to the youth room, opening the doors to youth group. And that's what I wish that the church could step into the triennium. It's not a bubble of perfect happiness, but it's a village of what is another part of the church that I think we all need to see. It's pretty incredible. But now we're hoping people won't be as hot and they won't have to walk as far. And we're getting out of the campus bubble and trying to step into an urban area where people are working and living. And we think that's important right now, especially for this theme in this generation. You're referring to the next triennium. Of yeah. course, it happens every three years yes. per the name. Yes. And it's going to happen this summer in 2022 yeah. in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Indiana. Yeah. Woo. So yeah, we moved an hour and a half down Highway Interstate 65. <laughs> so, that's our big move, but it feels like a giant move. Yeah. We're excited. Talk about risk. We're very anxious and the risks are in every level. Will people come to something that looks different than it has been for 40 years? Will people come in the middle? Well, what we hope is at an end of a pandemic, but the anxiety is pretty high all around about what will it look like in the summer. So, and it's very, you know, we plan two years out. So it's very fascinating to try to project this event at a time when it changes every day in the world. Everything changes by the minute and by the day. And so we literally have to kind of stay up on that, but also trust that at some point we'll have this picture and it'll be time to go with that. It's very challenging and exciting, but mostly challenging right now. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. If I'm honest. I hear that. Yeah, it's an impossible task to predict what the world will be like in 2022. Yeah. Kind of an interesting, strange blessing. As you said, you have to convince the adults in the youth's life that this is a good decision to send them to an event like this, but also getting to interact with a constituency that invites risk-taking, that is creative and adaptive and builds from the ground up. Yeah. I feel like we need this gathering so badly for younger Presbyterians. You know, and granted, it's not the only game in town. There are 150 camps going on at the same time. There are other conferences. So we're just one of many opportunities. But we desperately need these opportunities with our young people to gather, to harness that energy and that care, because this world really needs that right now. Like we need something other than the NBC nightly news. Shaping our lives. (laughs) Yeah, we need these people that want to do something to care and to be aware of racism and to go and do something about it in their communities, to get back on that bus and take it further. Like Triennium's great, but it's really about what happens when they leave the Triennium. Mm -hmm. I think we're desperate because we know the world is desperate (laughs) for care right now. So, And I think our young people can be a part of that care solution. Gina, we have talked to some on this podcast about having the courage and taking the space necessary to be intentional about shaping the world that could be possible Mm -hmm. if we lean into it together Mm -hmm. in the future. And Triennium strikes me as this amazing opportunity where adults and young adults and youth can come together and experience camaraderie and an inclusive community that invites them through really very strategically planned Mm -hmm. experiences. Mm -hmm. They get to tap into 
what their passion is and to see the lens of what we know in this movement as Matthew 25, Mm -hmm. the opportunity to dismantle systemic racism and disrupt Mm -hmm. generational poverty, institutional poverty, and to experience and explore what makes us vital, those three things. Yeah. How do you all plan to help people experience that at this particular triennium? Well, I'll say number one, (laughs) we plan to exploit in a good way, the gifts of Generation Z. So their willingness to immerse themselves into a situation and to learn about it and then to follow up and do something. Their need for information. So we feel like we need to provide that information. What really is racism? What is white supremacy? And how is this set into the church and the world so strongly? So how do we start to undo it and unwind it and uncover it? So we're not just talking about fixing it. We also feel a responsibility to provide the information that this generation demands. Mm. And so we're taking the gifts of this generation to try to learn and then to do something. The other piece, and and I think you mentioned this, is we're experimenting with something brand new for us, and that's what we call Lens Labs. So when we made the turn to this theme of when did we see you, that comes from Matthew 25, we felt a call to not skim the surface, like, you know, not a a simple curriculum, read the scripture, discuss. We felt a need to pay attention to all of the learning styles that are out there, the personality differences, the drives that make us all unique, and to pay attention to this passage and this theme through those lenses. And so we call them lenses. And so uh, what you'll do is explore this theme of when did we see you through a particular lens. And so what I mean by that is through the lens of poetry, through the lens of social media, through the lens of activism, through the lens of dismantling white supremacy, through the lens of understanding hunger and understanding how hunger affects young people in particular, through the lens of drama, through the lens of communal singing. That's one of my favorite. So there are five million anthems. I don't know if you know that. That's Gina exaggerating. But there are lots (laughs) of anthems written about these particular passages from Matthew 25. And an anthem comes with history, with the composer's life, uh, with specific lyrics, with specific notes and tones and changes. And so how incredible for the musicians, the singing people among the Triennium community to explore the theme through four to five anthems. And so they'll learn them. They'll learn the history. They'll learn the music theory behind them, the composer's life. And they'll sing those to each other and potentially in worship. And so they're exploring this theme through something they're passionate about, but really digging deep into it. So that's an example of a lens lab. And so every person will sign up for one lens lab or a small group. For some people, the small group experience is very powerful. They like being in that 25 to 30 person community and exploring the theme in that way. So we'll have both, although I suspect most people will sign up for a lens lab. What's fun is (laughs) I've had so many people call me to say, I want to teach a lens lab, like they've heard about it. And they may be people that are on the team already. So very busy (laughs) people, you know, and they're like, I see myself 
teaching that. And I'm one of those. I'm, I'm actually going to teach a lens lab because it's an exciting way to be with young people and to experience their passion in a unique way. And so I hope it goes well. I really don't want to experience risk or failure through this. <laughs> <laughs> May it be so. Yeah. <laughs> Gina, can you give us the info on how people can find out more about Trianium? Sure. So I would recommend that you go to the website, PresbyterianYouthTriennium.org. Registration doesn't open until February 1st. So you've got, we're in the building your delegation phase right now. And so that's important, I think, for me to say is you've got a lot of time right now to build up your presbytery or your church or your caucus. We welcome people in groups to the Triennium. So you could have a delegation of three people or 300 people. And we have all of those that come to PYT. So the website is probably the best bet or to contact our event registrar, Annalise Brown, annalise.brown at pcusa.org. I'm super excited in particular for the new worshiping communities among us. Me too. Yeah, they're so creative. (laughs) And just to have that glimpse of the larger network of people who have this heart for justice yeah, and this broad welcome and to be together. You've said before, big and special has its own place. It you know, does. That it's amazing yeah. to have something set apart that doesn't happen all the time no. that we get to experience together. Yeah. I think it's our tendency to say, we don't need events or we could save a lot of money or we, it's really about relationships, but we are festival people, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> by our faith and our biblical story, our heritage, we are people that made our way to each other at least once a year for wheat or offerings or whatever it was to worship. We are people that need each other. And more than anybody, young people have got to have that vision that this church is broad and diverse and way bigger than their church on the corner. You know, and we laugh. The phrase that you hear on opening night is always, I didn't know there were this many Presbyterians. Like, literally, you'll hear the freshmen walking into the opening service and they're they're just dumbfounded. I think that's all the reason more to be big sometimes and to have festival, to celebrate our God together and to say to each other what God is calling us to do. You know, there's just something different about hearing it loudly and in the presence of each other, a lot of each other's. <laughs> here, here. Gina, I always leave conversations with you feeling uplifted and hopeful about the future. Oh, I hope and so. <laughs> this is no different. You're such a visionary. Can't wait to be at Trainium ah, with you. Sorry. And thanks for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for asking and for caring about young people. I love it. I love working with 1001 folks and uh, especially have enjoyed this today. Friends, you, yes, you can sign up for Trainium when registration goes live in February at PresbyterianYouthTriennium.org. In the meantime, gather up your team of visionary people and make plans to join us in Indy this coming summer. You'll be glad you did. Stay tuned for all our upcoming episodes from Season 8 of New Way. We'll explore contemplation, silence, innovation, neighborliness, and more with our awesome lineup of guests. Whether you're listening along with a group of people or prefer to keep these amazing episodes all to yourself and to just let the magic flow through you as you live your life. You can subscribe at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and listen online at newchurchnewway.org or wherever you do the podcast listening. 
Thanks for listening to New Way. Our producer is the fabulous Martha Sanders. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Catch you next time. Thank you.